Welcome to the Breakthrough Advisor Podcast. In this podcast, we inspire advisors with ideas and pathways to break through barriers and build a thriving retirement income business. We will interview innovative technology developers, business leaders, and successful advisors, then help you organize and execute these ideas to move your business forward. Hello, and welcome to the Breakthrough Advisor. Today, I'm talking with Jamie Hopkins. Jamie, how are you? I'm doing really well today, all things considered. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad you're here. I know we've got a lot to talk about today, but before we get into the the, the real meat of the issue that you want to speak about, I'd like to get a little bit of history from you, kind of get to know you a bit, let our audience get to know you. Um, you're a financial advisor. In fact, you're a CFP, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Yeah, so I am a CFP. Uh, I've got a, a lot of education and credentials. So I, I tend not to have my own individual clients, but I am a kind of client-facing uh, individual. So I support uh, at the company that I'm with, Carson Group, uh, kind of sits in a couple different roles, one of them being on our advanced planning t- team. So I'll, I'll hop in on kind of bigger cases and client situations mm-hmm. as uh, kind of a support on the retirement side. Uh, my main roles, you know, are really a director of retirement resource. So I spent a lot of time kind of diving into the tax code, planning strategies, all of those fun things that get me really excited <laughs> that all a lot right. of other people don't want to spend time on. Um, I'm a professor of practice at Creighton University also, and uh, probably the seven years prior to joining uh, this firm, I was a professor at American College. So a lot of people have uh, run into the program that I helped co-create there, the RICP, uh, Retirement Income Certified Professional Program. So that's a little, you know, kind of about me from a professional standpoint. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, that that's a tremendous amount. <laughs> uh, and, and thank you for helping to build the RICP. That's a, that's a great designation. And I know advisors that have that and work with that. Uh, so that that's a, a huge value add for them. So I do appreciate the work that you put in on that. Now, today you wanted to talk about the SECURE Act and, and kind of talk to us about that. Also, I know that what the world is how it is right now with COVID-19 and the markets and all that stuff, we've really lost sight of some of those other things that are kind of just out there on the peripherals, if you will, like like the SECURE Act. But there's still some pretty major things that happen with that and changes that happen, especially initiated this year. So where do we start today with this? Yeah, I mean, it, it, kind of a starting point now, right? We just kind of have to acknowledge where we are. I mean, it's kind of one of those things. I've, I think uh, a Tuesday this week, I actually did. I had seven different presentations, three of them actually being uh, you know, kind of client prospecting wow. stuff that we moved to webinars, right? We were supposed to be in person and uh, move them. And, you know, we're supposed to talk about taxes and retirement planning, and we spent right? Half the time talking about COVID in the markets and because that's what's on people's minds. And, yeah. you know, I think one of the interesting things right now is, you know, as advisors, we're, you know, we're trying to deal with our, our clients that are calling and are stressed and we're trying to help with planning and we're trying to figure out what to do from an investment standpoint. And I think one really important thing for uh, kind of advisors to recognize now and just kind of pay attention to on the other side is like, this is actually like a global event, right? It, it's not just a market event. Mm-hmm. It's not the it's not the numbers. I mean, it's fear, it's uncertainty, it's people's lives, it's health, it's family, it's businesses, employment. I mean, it's so many factors all coming into one. And so I think one of the first things in any meeting or anything we're doing is just recognizing the human element of all of this and that people are fearful. And it's important actually to kind of embrace that and, and let people vent and to hear their, you know, how they're feeling. Um, you know, one of the terms that a lot of advisors use and you hear 
hear it is like try to take the emotions out of investing. And, you know, I'm kind of, a, I guess, a behavioral finance student. I don't like to say the, the expert world, more of a student of it, mm-hmm. um, right? And, you know, one of the interesting things around that is, you know, most behavioral finance uh, kind of researchers have started to move away from that term of removing emotions from it. Actually, emotional data is very important for our brain to make decisions. What we have to do is recognize it and then build the systems and processes and nudges and deliver information in a way that we can actually encourage people to make, you know, strong decisions based off their long-term goals. But, Mm -hmm. you know, the reality is people are going to continue to be emotional. I mean, I always tell people, think about any of those times that maybe you got in a fight with your spouse or somebody and you told them to calm down. Did that work? (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) If it didn't work with your, the person you know the best in the world, it's probably not going to work with anyone else. (laughs) Yeah. It's probably a bad idea. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that human element part is really important. So when you're having conversation now, just recognize that, just recognize that this is just bigger than, you know, just their financial plan, their numbers, their investments. But at the same time, we've got to continue moving forward with that. I mean, it's our job to help getting people in the best place they can be. And the estate planning, the legacy stuff that the SECURE Act really changed was monumental. Actually, I, I did after, uh, you know, three months of bugging them, got my parents to go in and update their estate planning documents. I mean, it mm. took a while. And the, you know, again, it's the family and they kind of say, yeah, yeah, you might know something about this. Maybe we'll do it. And they, <laughs> they texted me yesterday and said, we're doing the digital meeting with the estate planning attorney and they're on top of it now. And I was like, good. Uh, so at least, you know, and it can take multiple follow-ups, but I mean, especially now as health is a concern for people, that aspect of the planning, you know, while it, you know, it's it, you got to be delicate on it. You don't want to call up your client and say, "Hey, you might die soon. Like, let's get on this." Mm-hmm. Um, but we have to recognize that, like, health is actually a concern right now. So that planning that relates to health, and if people are dragging their feet on powers of attorney and updating their beneficiaries, I mean, that's serious stuff right now. So you know, with a level of being delicate on it, but um, is something definitely like don't forget about that part of the planning right now. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I, I think you're spot on. With what you're saying as far as emotions and things, we have them. We just need to not succumb to them or make rash, quick decisions based on one emotion. Let's look at everything all together and then make a really good educated decision. It's, it's so funny also that you, you talk about your the, the education you have and the all the training that you've done and and aren't parents all the same, really? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're my kid. Yeah, you probably know something about this. We'll think about it. Oh, come on now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, know, I know more to just a little about it. And you know, come on, make a move now. So that, that's that's hilarious. I love that. Um, what really got you excited about this? I mean, you, you're you're geeking out about this, like I do with numbers, and mm-hmm. I, I like technology. I'm a nerd, such a nerd for technology. What really drove you and your passion for for this field? Yeah, so I mean, it actually ties back to to family, to be honest. So, uh, you know, my mom and dad didn't graduate from school. My dad uh, did construction, mostly roofing, gutters, fascia, siding, all stuff high mm-hmm. up on a ladder. And uh, my mom helped run the company with them. So, uh, you know, I'm eight years old, and um, my dad actually goes up on a roof. You know, it starts raining, temperature drops, uh, aluminum ladders freeze over faster than a roof, comes Oof. down, slips, falls, and is gone. And all of a sudden, you know, my mom's left there taking care of children, um, no college degree, right? Doesn't have the person actually that does the work for a construction company. If you don't have a person that does construction for a construction company, it's a little hard to make a living there too. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, her and I talked about this recently and she kind of, you know, 
just you know her whole world was gone and that's how she felt and she said i you know just knew that i needed to pull it all together because i had responsibility i had kids right and and you have to you just have to go on and you know fast forward um a bunch of years right and i kept watching tv commercials saying hey come do your retirement planning with us and i was probably in college at that time and you know probably watching nfl games or something like that and you know just kept seeing them and i was like what in the world does somebody like my mom do who's you know can still running the construction company even to today, um, but it's never had, you know, a pension or a 401k or any of those things. I mean, they didn't even have basic life insurance when my, my, my dad passed away. And, you know, it just kind of that, I kind of remember that being the, the thing that kind of just kind of interested me in my mind. I ended up becoming an attorney first and uh, did private equity and clerked in the appellate division. And so when I was in the appellate division, well, one of the interesting things that I got to work on on that time was actually one of the many, actually, Bernie Madoff cases that were uh, ongoing mm. at that point. And if you want to think about like really getting interested in personal finance, protecting people and trust, there's probably no better thing than yeah. uh, experiencing the Bernie Madoff right stuff uh, kind of almost in person. Person. Yeah, and seriously. that and working on uh, kind of ERISA plans just really got me like further into it. And then I, I did some estate planning. And so then you're all tying to all this stuff. And then, yeah, then got really excited, got a great opportunity to go to American College and build out a retirement income program with David Littell, who was the co-director with me there. Um, and, and David's, you know, just been a great mentor and somebody who, you know, we were kind of bookending the, the careers where I'm kind of early in this. And David spent 30 some years in retirement planning, um, you know, as an Olympic fencer, just really brilliant guy. And I got to spend, you know, seven um, you know, a little over seven years kind of working hand in hand with him, building out programs, doing research writing. And uh, yeah, I always tell people I go to bed thinking about retirement planning. I tend to wake up in the middle of the night. My brain's trying to solve something that occurred that day. Mm-hmm. I write it down in a notebook I, I keep next to my bed. And then in the morning I get up and hopefully I can read my handwriting in the notebook. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's what I live and breathe and I, and I love it. And, and, you know, it's kind of one of those things like I, I'm just uh, from my core really at this point passionate about it and you know it's yeah it's it's kind of one of those things people are like oh what do you do for work and you know i almost don't even think i i work in the real sense anymore because it's what i want to spend my time doing is just having a meaningful impact in this space Mm -hmm. absolutely so going back to the secure act there's there's a lot of things that changed and a lot of things that will affect people's retirement and all retirement planning in general what are some of the big highlights that we really need to, to look at, especially in today's situation with the market and everything else? Yeah, so I'll probably uh, say probably about three or four things that I'm pretty much hitting on almost every single day with the Secure Act. So one is just, uh, you know, from an advisor standpoint, uh, you know, I think that there's a lot more complexity to this uh, than a lot of advisors kind of are maybe thinking about right Mm -hmm. so they hear it they know a lot of things change and they hear the big ticket items and they're like okay i i learned enough to be dangerous and um you know it's something i literally spend time on every single day and i'd say almost every single day i'm seeing a new planning option or wrinkle in something and so uh 
I think uh, Ed Slot said it probably is about 12 hours of re-education that advisors need is kind of his view. And I was thinking at first, eh, maybe it's four and I'm probably getting closer to him now. I'm thinking maybe it's eight. So maybe between eight and 12 hours, advisors actually need re-education on. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty big deal. So the, I think the first thing is just advisors, it, you probably don't have all the pieces that you need yet. Um, so then it's, you know, do you have the right team in place? Do you have the right processes? You know, obviously you don't need to know everything yourself, but are you just kind of set up to do the best you can for your clients? Uh, then the next part is um, what I'm trying to get across is, you know, this was called the secure act setting every community up for enhanced, you know, a retirement enhancement act. And, you know, it sounds wonderful, right? Every community for enha- enhanced retirement, we didn't yeah. miss one single community. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. uh, Congress is so good, right? 417 to three vote in the house. They all agreed on it. Wow. They're so good. And then you look at it, it's a tax revenue bill. Um, at its core, this is a tax revenue bill mm-hmm. um, by its own admission, right? It raises taxes. It also raises government spending, which is everyone's favorite type of bill, right? Not only are we increasing your taxes, but we're not going to pay down the deficit. We're actually just going to spend this. So yes. it's uh, you know, it, it's probably the least favorite bill from that perspective as possible. That doesn't mean the bill is a bad bill. I actually generally think the bill on its face is a net positive. Um, but it is a tax revenue bill. And so that should be important for advisors because the the aspect that we're dealing with this is it is raising taxes. How is it raising taxes? Basically through one provision, right? And that's the provision that most of the planning is going to be around. And that's probably the third piece is it, you know, at its core, if you're going to be really good at one piece of this, it's going to be around the 10-year stretch provision, mm-hmm. removing the lifetime stretch for many beneficiaries and going to 10. And so the planning about that, you know, it's not all tax planning, but there is a tax planning component of that. Um, and it's, you know, what are we going to do? Are we changing our beneficiaries, our trusts, our Roth conversion strategies, our tax diversification, or using charitable remainder trusts? There, there's a hundred different strategies there, but it's just getting very clear on our messaging, our type of clients, our clients' goals, and then what tools are we going to have available? So I think if you're really just trying, as I said, look at it from a big picture, right? You've got to recognize there was a lot of change change. There's tax increases on many of Americans. And then really, if we're dealing with that piece of it, it's coming from one provision. I think it's uh, $16.2 billion of revenue over the next 10 years the bill is supposed to generate. Mm-hmm. Um, or tax increases. There's some tax reductions in there, but the 16.2 is the increase piece. And 15.7 of that comes from the one provision. So um, (laughs) it's almost all of it, right? So when we think about the tax impact of this bill, it really comes from one provision. And so while there's a lot of other planning pieces in there, we have to know if you want to just get really good at one piece for the time being um, with all this other stuff going on out in the world, that's the space that you got to get, you know, really up to date with. Mm -hmm. So are there a lot of strategies that'll help advisors to navigate that so they can do better for their clients, I guess is my question, because if it's a new law, then we obviously we have to follow it. We have to follow the rules. Uh, but there's usually some maybe loopholes or little things that are going to help certain clients accomplish different things. Are there things that uh, advisors need to learn about in that arena that will really change the game for their clients? Yeah, so let's probably uh, let's try to run through maybe five. We'll pick five. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, 
very first one, and this is my single biggest concern after the SECURE Act. So, you know, dealing with what's the biggest risk first. So we'll put that out there. Um, so my single biggest concern around the SECURE Act actually relates to what we used to call conduit or stretch or pass-through trusts. All of them kind of mean the same thing. It's we take our IRA, the beneficiary of the IRA is a trust. The trust was going to stretch out the distributions through the trust to some beneficiary, right? Very common. Some states, some attorneys use it almost for every single client. Not to get off on that, I, I always think that there's some overkill on how often that estate planning attorneys will use those. And especially now that's going to be true after this. But plain and simple, we have a trust in place. IRA goes through that. The language inside of that, so we're going to dive into language here inside this trust, says something to the akin of, and it'd be a little bit different, but the beneficiary is entitled to the required minimum distributions of the IRA each year, dot, 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 to, uh, you know, adhere to the stretch IRA provision rules through this trust. So when we take that language and then we apply it to the SECURE Act, we actually get a problem. So that language that's in almost every single one of those trusts says you are entitled to the RMDs each year as the distribution from this stretch trust. Then you go to the 10-year provision. What the 10-year provision under the SECURE Act actually says is all of the account must be distributed by the end of the 10th year following the year of death of the owner. So when we now take the new law and we apply it to the language that was written prior to this law, well, we have a problem. What's the problem? The problem is the trust says we get the RMDs each year, and the Secure Act says actually we have no RMDs until year 10. So if that language is in place, beneficiary comes in, says, hey, I'd love to get access. Mom passed away. She left me a million-dollar IRA. We spent a lot of money at her funeral. We'd like to get some access to it. Mm -hmm. Trustee says, hey, that's great. Mom did leave it to you. It's in the trust, but you can't have any money for 10 years. Why? Well, because it says you get an RMD this year. The RMD is zero. The RMD next year is zero, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. The technical RMD, the required distribution is zero dollars. The only year that there's a required distribution is year 10. So you come back in 10 years and we'll give you the whole amount, the million dollars plus whatever interest it's accrued, and it's all going to be taxed in one distribution that year. Ouch. Well, <laughs> that's a disaster from multiple levels, right? Yeah. One, the kids have no access. Two, you're going to push all the account off into the 10th year in which it's all going to be taxed, a million dollars plus interest. That means we're taxing all this. Basically, right, the most amount of taxes we could ever put on this trust, right, and this IRA assets, right? Like we, we've kind of defeated every aspect of this planning. Now, so basically the short answer is I wish I could tell everyone that every single trust out there is a problem now. The, pro the problem is like, it's actually not that it's a lot of them are a problem, but some might not be, you know, sometimes you kind of just wish something when a new law comes to kind it breaks everything because then you can just say, Hey, it's all broken. You need to fix it here. It's some of them are broken. Some might be okay. Some trusts language allow the stretch and have additional access points. So I reviewed a trust back in January and, uh, you know, we're on the phone with the attorney, the financial advisor, the client attorney says, hey, we've got clause number two. Clause number one was almost exactly as I just read it. Clause number two said, and the trustee uh, and the beneficiary is access to the IRA, um, additional access to the IRA is otherwise stated in the trust document. So that was the language. And so attorney read that says, look, it gives additional access point here. That's the clause. And what I said was, okay, uh, so it says, as otherwise stated in the trust document, uh, could you point us to the clause as otherwise stated in the trust document? Hmm. 
and it was that silence we just heard. <laughs> exactly. And the attorney <laughs> sat there, and I didn't say anything. I just sat there. And we it, it, we got like, you know, maybe, it, you know, it felt like two days, right? But we got like the good 15 seconds of just <laughs> silence. Just staring right? at each other. <laughs> yeah, just just complete silence. And, you know, it's uh, one of the things, you know, I, I'm a talker. I tend to talk a lot. One thing I've learned uh, over the years is, you know, when you really want to drive home a point, like you, you, you don't say anything, you wait. And he goes, well, you know, a, tr a trustee could read that as giving additional access. And I was like, well, you know, do we want to just leave that up to the trustee? And, you know, so we, we did make a modification to that one, added some clarity to that. Um, and that one, right, I, I will be honest, he's, he's right. It appears that you're trying to give additional access. However, there was no clause in the trust document. So me as an attorney, if I'm the trustee, if a corporate trustee, I would say most corporate trustees would say no additional access unless I can find another provision. Mm -hmm. Family trustee member might say, hey, yeah, we know the purpose of this. We're going to give the kids some additional access. So other things uh, you can add to fix this. I've, I've kind of changed my mind exactly on uh, what I'm recommending out to advisors now in this. At first, I was saying, hey, you just need to go back. You need to work with the attorneys and update it and rework it. And I think that's putting a lot of onus back on the attorney and other people to come up with new creative ideas. Mm -hmm. um, and I know, say, creative, just reworking an RMD provision uh, in a trust doesn't seem like it should be a lot of work. But amazingly, it, it, I think there's just pushback there. So what I've kind of changed my mind on in a very short period of time is let's just go with them with two additional access points. So HEMS, Health Education Maintenance Support Clause, and a 5% access clause. So if your goal is to give the kids access inside the trust of roughly 10% or more of the assets each year to qualify for the 10-year stretch, you could just add those other two clauses because every single attorney out there has those clauses already drafted, right? So there's no, we don't have to convince them to create something new. We don't have to teach them a new concept. Mm -hmm. We can just go with those two pieces. Um, you know, I, I reviewed another trust this year also that had the health education maintenance support. It's about a seven to eight million dollar IRA, and so fairly significant, right? And and that's over a ten year period, seven hundred to eight hundred thousand dollars of distributions per year if you were levelizing, and then on the back end, if you let eight million dollars sit, I mean, we just subjected seven point five million dollars to you know basically probably effective forty something percent taxes. So mm -hmm. really bad planning if we leave it there. So their trust actually had. The, the same RMD language, and then the health education maintenance support clause. And so the, the client said, well, what if my daughter, after I pass away, wants to take a thirty dollars to $50,000 vacation because, you know, I'm gone, she's sad, they, they get through the grieving period, and they want to go somewhere, and they want to pull this out of the IRA. And I said, well, do they take thirty dollars to $50,000 vacations today? Well, no, they don't have any money. And I'm like, well, then they can't use health education maintenance support to pull 50 grand out to mm -hmm. go on a vacation. General rule around that is it's to maintain your current standard of living. So that would be outside the current standard of living. So again, we added a 5% uh, piece there, which kind of, you know, you could probably get 50 grand out under health education support, but not for that particular need. So, you know, it, it's just trying to, how are we going to build all this together? And so that's like, I know that was a lot of information, but I mean, it's a big concern area because almost every single advisor I know or have ever run into has clients that are using those types of trusts for the retirement assets, right? So yeah. it's a big issue. 
I would also say um, it's an issue of liability, probably more so for the attorneys, actually, um, than it is even for the advisor. But if you're recommending this, you can be lumped in, too. Because I said, if that situation, you had somebody that left $8 million in an IRA, it went to one of these conduit trusts that gets set up today, you didn't have exist additional access points, $8 million gets held up for 10 years, and then all gets taxed in one year on a distribution. I mean, that's <laughs> that feels pretty bad, right? Yeah. And, and clearly is not uh, in the best interest of the client. It's not meeting their goals. So there, I mean, to me, the, from an updating standpoint, from just knowing this from a risk standpoint, very important that we're on top of this as advisors. Yeah, absolutely. That's a recipe for disaster. I mean, that, that's all there is to it. Jamie, thank you so much. We're running a little bit low on time. Is there yeah. anything else that you want to touch on today that, that's the last point, the <laughs> one more thing that you need to say? This this is something else people need to know. Well, so I did say I'll hit five, so I'll just give them those f other four. Um, so one is just look at Roth conversions, tax diversification, right? Mm -hmm. That's a good one. Make sure you review all the beneficiary designations because really the goals now under this could have changed. Look at charitable remainder trusts as a possible beneficiary of IRAs. That'll probably be the single biggest thing besides Roth conversions that, that gets kind of a big uh, a bump up after this. And then again, right, uh, probably now, is a good time to do life insurance review when you start thinking about estate and value and what are we leaving from a legacy perspective if we you know aren't going to be able to leave the legacy that we wanted with the IRA anymore because of the 10 year should we be looking at some other type of non-taxable benefit to leave that legacy so from the planning standpoint right the trust the Roth beneficiary review charitable remainder trust life insurance great review everyone's heard of all those things but they all kind of got a boost now with the secure Act. Yeah, absolutely. And and the beauty of this is that you know this stuff. And so I'm going to ask you one last question, and that's if our listeners are saying, wow, that was a lot of information in a short amount of time, I would love to talk to that guy. <laughs> Jamie, how do they get a hold of you? <laughs> yeah, so a couple different ways. Uh, first thing, uh, it, one of the easiest ways is just to follow me on Twitter, at Retirement Risks. So that's an easy way. And my website's really easy to find. It's just my name, jamiehopkins.com, J-A-M-I-E, Hopkins, H-O-P-K-I-N-S.com. And if you Google me, it'll pop up. There's a contact form on there. It actually comes right to my phones. It's like shooting me an email. Um, if you want my direct email, too, it's jhopkins at carsongroup.com. And uh, happy to talk to you about what we do at Carson Group. Or if you're just kind of interested in the retirement work that I do, feel free to reach out, speaking engagements, podcasts, media, writing, all of those things, happy to help with, um, you know, and just uh, do, in any way that you're doing, whether you reach out to me or somebody else, but stay in, stay on top of this, right? Keep doing the best things you possibly can for your clients and, uh, you know, really appreciate your time uh, for having me on the show today too. Yeah, absolutely. Jamie, it's such a pleasure getting to know you. Thank you so much for your time. Um, I love talking to guys like you that can really teach me things, and you did, so <laughs> I appreciate that. And I want to thank all of our listeners for listening to the Breakthrough Advisor podcast. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when they come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your colleagues. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at InsureMark, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Breakthrough Advisor podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of InsureMark. 
The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. 